Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. It is fascinating that the story starts with Peter, a fisherman for like fish, and then tries to, at the end of the story and all that stuff, you kind of sense that there had to have been this emotion or some kind of feeling of like, story's over, defeat, and then he goes out to try to become a fisherman again, and Jesus is like, oh, I'm not done with you. Story's not over. In fact, the story's just beginning. The story's just beginning, and that's what I want to encourage you guys with as well. No matter where you're at in your walk with Jesus, he's never done with you. In today's study of the book of Mark, Pastor James looks at the lives the disciples led before and after following Jesus. Peter is one of the best known and most passionate followers of Christ that's noted in the Bible. Yet he still thought that Jesus' death and resurrection meant that his work for Christ was finished. Like most of us, Peter had no idea of the bountiful life that Jesus had in store for him. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Mark chapter 1 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Mark chapter 1. We're going through this gospel, you know, little bit by little bit. We'll start picking up the pace here pretty soon, but I want to kind of take our time going through this so we can, you know, kind of grab hold of as much as we can. So when you get to the, the call of like the first disciples, there's not a lot of details in Mark's gospel. Just like the temptation that Jesus went through for 40 days and 40 nights out in the wilderness, Mark doesn't elaborate a lot on the details of the story so to speak, like, you know, a lot of the conversations, it's mainly the action. It's the act. And it's boom, 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 immediately, immediately, immediately. We get that with the first disciples. So I want to do a little bit of Mark, and then I want to maybe jump over to the other gospels, just so you can kind of have a full picture of what's happening here. Because I think in our brains, we think Jesus was walking around in the Galilee region, saw Andrew and Peter and James and John fishing and just said, hey, come follow me. And then that was it. That's not really, that is it, but that's not all of it. Okay. So let's look at this verse 16 of chapter one. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. It says, one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, who we know as Peter, Simon Peter, and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. They were fishermen. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people, or I will make you fishers of men. I kind of like that version better. Fish for people sounds weird. Sounds like a bad, like, Christian dating site or something. Um, It's not what it is. Fishers of men, okay? And it says, and they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing the nets. He called to them at once, and they also followed him, leaving their father, Zebedee, in a boat with the hired men, right? So this is four of his first disciples, and we just read through that, and you're like, okay, not a lot there. So now for the backstory. This is not the first time these guys have met Jesus, okay? We know from John chapter 1 that they had already met Jesus. They were aware of who Jesus was. They had seen, you know, they, 
more likely they were connected to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was already telling people, look, there's one coming who's greater than I am. I'm not even worthy to stoop down and to untie his shoe. John would go on to say, make these great proclamations as Jesus showed up to get baptized by John the Baptist. He's like, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And essentially, John was saying, look, if you're following me, don't follow me, follow him. Follow him. And what we know from this story as well is, at least before the call, Andrew, who's Peter's brother, he was already aware of the Messiah. He probably following John the Baptist, had seen this. And so he ran and got Peter and he says, we found the Messiah. You need to come see the Messiah. So Andrew had this ministry of bringing people to Jesus. That's what he was known for. That's what he was known for. In fact, all that we really know about Andrew, other than who his brother was and a little bit of his family life, was about three references in the scriptures of how he was constantly bringing people to Jesus. He brought his brother, Peter, to Jesus. He introduced him. You got to come see the Messiah. There was a group of Greeks who were looking to see Jesus. And it was Andrew who brought them to see Jesus. There was a little boy who had his lunchable, you know, when there was no food to be found. Andrew was the one who brought the little boy to Jesus and said, we don't have enough money to buy all this food. It was what the other disciples were saying. And Andrew shows up and says, yeah, but this kid's got some food. And he brought this little kid to Jesus and Jesus took what that kid had, multiplied it and fed thousands of people. So it's amazing when you think about this stuff, that was Andrew. That's kind of who he was. And we get small little glimpses of that here and there, but he's a fisherman. He's part of a fishing family, him and his brother, Peter. So first meeting, they met Jesus, but they didn't go all in in following Jesus because the call wasn't there yet. There was going to come a day when Jesus would show back up again and say like, oh no, now it's time to follow me. So this is what happens. Technically in the Greek, when Jesus calls out to them to follow me, this is what I've rephrased it as this, go all in, all in for Jesus, all in. And that's why they left their nets. That's why they left the fishing company. That's why they left all that stuff behind to go all in for Jesus because this was the day for it. This was the day for it. I think a lot of people have this kind of story growing up in church. You hear about Jesus, you're acquainted with Jesus, you know about Jesus, but maybe your story was one day you showed up on a Sunday service and the gospel was presented in such a way, it was like Jesus showed up and said, no, no, come follow me. Now it's time to go all in. For some people that may mean leaving, you know, what was set as like, I'm sure a very comfortable and secure life, fishing business, very successful fishing business, we assume, to leave all that to go on this grand adventure with Jesus. And that's what these guys did. And it starts with Andrew and Peter. And so I just wanted to make sure that we understand that, that this was not the first meeting that they had. They, had, they were aware of who Jesus was. But now Jesus showed up and said, no, no, it's time to, it's time to go on this adventure. And I'm inviting you. And that's what's amazing about this is Jesus is going around. We know that, you know, within the timeline, Jesus had, he got baptized, was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, was tempted by Satan. He overcame those temptations by proclaiming the word of God, even when Satan himself was quoting scripture, largely out of context to Jesus to try to trip him up. 
because he knows Jesus is the Messiah, which means Jesus is Satan's greatest threat. He's going to ruin all his hopes and dreams, kind of. Jesus overcomes those temptations through the word of God, quotes scripture to Satan and all that good stuff, then is ministered to by the angels. From there, he goes up to Nazareth, where he kind of grew up, and there they try to kill him. They try to kill him, like day one. Like Jesus goes in there, proclaims, you know, is reading through Isaiah, I think it was, sits down and says, you know, today this prophecy has been fulfilled in your presence. And then goes on, they end up trying to like do away with Jesus. And then so if you're not familiar with that story, you can go into Luke's gospel, Matthew's gospel. Those two definitely go into the details concerning that. But he transitions from Nazareth and now he's into the Galilee region. And now he's going to, as his ministry, earthly ministry has begun, he's now going to start recruiting students, disciples. That's what disciples are. This was something that was a common practice within the Jewish world back then. There was rabbis and there were students. The rabbis had disciples. And Jesus is, he's just following right along with that. As a rabbi, technically didn't go through any of the rabbinical schools in that sense. He wasn't like, didn't graduate, so to speak, from the seminary, if we can use our Western idea of that. He is, he's a teacher. He's always identified as a teacher. He absolutely is, was the rabbi, and he's going to be referenced as that throughout the Gospels. But he shows up, and now he's going to start calling these guys. And he starts with Andrew. And like I said, a little backstory for Andrew. Andrew was just known for bringing people to Jesus. There were some other references concerning Andrew as well, but I just want to do a flyover kind of a thing for right now. But so Andrew and then Simon, we know Simon. We, I think if we're familiar with anybody from the word, you know, you have obviously, hopefully Jesus is the most familiar you are when it comes to biblical characters. I think Peter would be right up there, pretty high up there. We know his stories. We know mostly of his faults because we identify with that. We know that he denied Jesus three times on the night he was betrayed and he was going through these trials. So we're familiar with the fact that, yeah, Peter messes up. And I think we find comfort in understanding who Peter is because we kind of mess up too. We also know that Peter had this bad habit of sticking his foot in his mouth, you know, speaking when he really didn't process or think through what he was saying. Key point was the Mount of the Transfiguration. I mean, it even says within the text that Peter, not really knowing what he was saying, starts blurting out like, well, we should build, you know, these little booths for you and for Elijah and for Moses. And then God, the father, opens up the sky. He's like, hey, um, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Peter, zip it. Peter, zip it. Like, stop talking, Peter. But then he would do this. He, I think he was a passionate man. I think he just, just kind of blurts it out. You know, no filter. And that's fun sometimes. That can be hurtful for other people at times, right? If you've ever experienced that. But I think he was just a man who was just driven kind of by passion. And it was, it's not out of like hurtfulness that he would say some of these things. I don't think he's meaning to be harmful to Jesus when he rebukes Jesus. And then Jesus has to rebuke him and be like, Satan, get behind me right? And he's like, no, Jesus, you can't. No, you're not going to the cross. You can't. You're not going to die. You know, all this stuff. And Jesus is like, Peter, you don't know what you're talking about. You need to stop talking, okay? 
That was Peter. We know this about him. But if you've read 1 Peter and 2 Peter, here's the thing that we may miss sometimes. There's a lot of terminology in 1 Peter and 2 Peter that highlight just how much love and compassion this guy had. He kept using all these terms like precious throughout 1 and 2 Peter. That's coming from a, probably a, a pretty rough fisherman, you know? who was known to, I mean, he, my goodness, he tried to kill somebody in the garden when Jesus was arrested. I mean, he wasn't successful at it, nor was he good at it, but this is who he was. He's a man of passion and, and reaction, right? A reactor. But then you see this guy as he walked with the Lord, followed the Lord, and then even beyond the crucifixion when he was restored back to the Lord and then used by Jesus in such a tremendous way to help build the church, and then he writes these two beautiful letters, 1 Peter, 2 Peter. And all throughout those letters, he's just like, my precious, precious, precious. You are precious. I don't use the word precious ever. In fact, this is the most I've ever used it in my life, I think, okay? So I think we get that just, it just shows, it magnifies just the change that Jesus had on him. So they're there fishing. The other gospel accounts let us know that Jesus was actually talking to a crowd, and the crowd was pressing in on him, and he needed to get into a boat. And so there was Peter and Andrew, probably, and he hops into their boat, and he's like, let's go out to the water a little bit more so he can address the crowd. And then he's like, Peter, go ahead and throw your net in over here. We've been fishing all night, Lord. We haven't caught anything, but if you tell me to, then okay. And then they can't even haul in all the fish. And then, so our other gospel accounts give a little bit more details here and there and all this good stuff. And then Jesus made that proclamation to him. Oh, oh, Peter, guess what? You walk with me, you follow me, you'll be fishers of men. So what you're seeing practically and experientially, tangibly with this net full of fish, the same thing's gonna happen when you walk with me, when you follow me. So Mark's gospel is just like, yeah, he's walking down the shore, sees Peter, Andrew, hey, you guys come follow me. They left their nets and boom, they go, right? Like, it's just like right to the point, boom, boom, boom. But it's, it is fun when you read through the gospels, anytime you study through the gospels to look at all four accounts. And just because one includes something that the others don't include, it doesn't mean that there's a mistake or they can't be trusted. You're talking about four different authors. In Mark's case, possibly two authors coming together that are providing you with four different eyewitness accounts of the same events. So obviously, some are going to see more details than the other. And whoever they're writing to, they're going to include other details that aren't really necessary for maybe this audience. Makes sense if you just kind of take a step back. But it's fun when you look through this stuff because that's their story. So they were fishing and Jesus shows up and he says, follow me. What's also fascinating about this, the end of the gospel, Jesus has died and it seems all hope was lost. Peter denied Jesus those three times. Jesus being led away, looks at Peter. Peter breaks down and runs out weeping right? We remember these stories. And Jesus raises again three days later from the grave. And really, I mean, and we know that Peter is part of the group as they're, you know, in the upper room and Jesus is showing up. But what we also know from the end of the gospels is that Peter goes back to fishing, at least for a moment. He goes back to fishing. And you kind of get this idea of like, in Peter's mindset, it's like, well, so that's over. I mean, he died, he raised him again from the grave, but 
I mean, what's left? Where do we go from here? I guess I just go fishing. I guess I just go back to what I've always known. I guess I can just be a fisherman again. And then Jesus shows up and says, no, Peter, you're never going back to being a fisherman. You're going to be a shepherd now. And I need you to feed my lambs. I need you to tend to my sheep. I need you to feed my sheep. But it is fascinating that the story starts with Peter, a fisherman for like fish, and then tries to, at the end of the story and all that stuff, you kind of sense that there had to have been this emotion or some kind of feeling of like, the story's over, defeat, and then he goes out to try to become a fisherman again, and Jesus is like, oh, I'm not done with you. The story's not over. In fact, the story's just beginning. The story's just beginning. And that's what I want to encourage you guys with as well. I don't know where you're at in your walk with the Lord Jesus. I don't know if like he's shown up in your life and you've become acquainted with him, but maybe there hasn't been this all in just yet. Well, maybe today is that day where it's like all in. Jesus shows up and he's like, nope, come follow me. And then what you'll see in following Jesus is that there's going to be lots of highs, lots of lows and all that good stuff. And there's going to be a lot of times where you feel like, okay, I think I'm just done, right? The story's over. It's just time to go back. Like I can do anything else. I could do anything else. And then Jesus shows up in your life. He's like, no, no, it's just starting. It's just starting. Don't give up. Don't give up too soon. So that's kind of Andrew and Peter. And they left this fishing business. Again, what that signified for them was security and comfort. And they were willing to lay that aside to follow him. They didn't know how long at this point in time. They didn't know really that it was only going to be three years. They didn't know that, again, at this point in time, they may have had ideas, but we know from the gospel accounts that, because even when Jesus was telling them, I'm going to be crucified, it still didn't click in their brains. But he showed up and says, come follow me. And they laid all the stuff aside, the comfort, the security, the known for the unknown. I would encourage us to pursue that same journey, especially in Western Christianity, where comfort is king. Comfort is king. We know that. We know that. Comfort's king. We like comfort. We long for comfort. We long for security. Let's be honest. We do. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things, but when those things are numero uno in our lives, we might be missing out on the adventure and the journey. I do not mind letting you guys in on the flaws of my life. As a youth pastor for 13 years, getting to the point where I was like, having that conversation with Jesus, where I was like, man, Jesus, I have some repenting to do because I can do this without you. I can do this without you. And that's where I was in ministry, doing ministry, teaching sermons, teaching lessons to youth students, high schoolers, junior hires. And I was awakened to this realization. I'd become so comfortable and so secure. I just didn't need Jesus anymore. And it was the scariest thing I'd ever waken up to. And I repented. I just flat out repented to him immediately there on the spot. And I said, I'm sorry. Because that's not what ministry is. If it's done without Jesus, then it's not ministry. 
it's works. It's works. And I had a whole long list, long, you know, lineage of just works. And I said, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do it if it just works. I want adventure. Jesus, I read these books. I read these stories about people who forsook all to follow you. I don't have that in my life. And I want that. And he said, hold on. He said, hold on. You want to go on an adventure? Let's go on an adventure. And then we moved to Galveston. And it's an adventure. And it's the hardest thing we've ever done in our lives. Absolutely. But it forced us. It really forced us to, to break free of that comfort thing and really our backs against the wall, quote unquote, kind of a thing where we had to rely on him once again. We had to rely on Jesus once again to be our provider. Because for so long, I didn't need him to be my provider because, well, I had the checks were coming in. The stuff was covered. It was good. And this isn't, you know, we weren't looking to be like financially irresponsible or anything like that, but it was just like, Jesus, I, I kind of forgot what it feels like to trust you anymore. And I don't want to live that way. I also don't want to live because I'm not crazy. I don't want to live day to day like, oh Lord, you know, that, in that mindset of like, yeah, I want to, I do, we do trust him every day, but I'm, I'm not asking him to put me in situations where it's like, you know, I have to trust him every day in that sense, right? Like, oh, don't follow me down that road, okay? I'm not going there. I'm not insane. It refreshed us. It brought us back to this mindset of like, no, we're all in. We're all in, Jesus. We're all in. And that's what it was for Peter and for Andrew. Jesus shows up and they're like, we're leaving the fishing nets behind. We're leaving the, what could be for them for sure was going to be, they didn't have to worry about anything. It's a business. It's a successful business. But they were going to go all in for Jesus. They were going to go on and it was going to cost them. If you know anything about the disciples history, all of these guys died following Jesus. All of them died following Jesus. None of them lived a full life. None of them did. And it wasn't because they were foolish. It wasn't because they were, you know, brazen and all. They followed Jesus until the very end. And for some of them, the very end meant other people taking their lives because of that. Martyrdom, that's what that is. When you get to heaven, assuming you're good to go concerning that, Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you're following him. You can ask each and every one of these guys, minus one, because he's, we, as far as we know, he's not there. You can ask these guys, was it worth it? And their answer is going to be, oh, absolutely. Would you do it again? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what they were signing up for. They were signing up for uncertainty. They were signing up for, I mean, you name it. They were engaging. They were signing up for war. They were signing up for war. I don't think they understood all the details of that initially because they're thinking, you're the Messiah. You're going to usher in the kingdom. Well, we want to be connected to you because then that might mean we got some good spots in the new kingdom and all that stuff, right? They're thinking like he's going to overthrow Rome and all this good stuff. That's not why he came the first time. Now, they would be set when he comes back the second time, and he is going to come back pretty soon. But this is what they were signing up for. I mean, this is what they left their nets for. It says they left their nets immediately or at once, and they followed him. They went all in. No turning back. 
Thanks for joining us today here on Bread for the Broken. You've been listening to Pastor James Grizzle as he teaches through the book of Mark, one of the accounts of Jesus' time here on earth. Though it's short, this book is powerful as it's filled with encounters that Jesus had with people, everyday people just like you and me. And the book of Mark reminds us that Jesus came to serve. He humbly did what needed to be done, even if it wasn't glamorous. Jesus healed the people who were sick. He spent time with the lonely and the rejected. He loved the unloved unconditionally. And then he proved his love by the ultimate act of service. He gave up his life for all of us. He took the place of every person on the earth, and then those to come, because we all deserve death. Our sins make us unacceptable to God, and we're unable to do anything to fix it. That's why we need Jesus. Today, if you haven't allowed Jesus to be your Savior, please consider it again. If you have questions or would you like to talk more with someone, then please take a moment and go to breadforthebroken.com and click on Contact. Just fill out the form and we'll be in touch with you. You can also come visit us if you're in the Galveston area. Bread for the Broken is a ministry of Calvary Galveston, and we meet every Sunday and Thursday. So find out more at breadforthebroken.com. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Next time, Pastor James will pick up where he left off in the book of Mark. So make a note of where we are and make plans to join us next time, here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you, man.